good morning. It is great to see so many people, and it's great to know that so many people did not have vacation plans just like me. Uh, so <laughs> apparently nobody went on vacation uh, over this holiday weekend, and that is great because it is awesome to see uh, so many people gathered in this place today. Uh, I am Jeremy Loki. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace, and in true youth pastor form, we're going to start off this uh, sermon here with just a quick game. Now, if you've ever, raise your hand if you've ever heard the term that person is the goat. Anyway, yeah, that's what I figured, okay? So let me, let me give you a little bit of uh, teen lingo or, or new slang. Uh, to, if, if you hear someone say that person is the goat, they're not uh, belittling them or disrespecting them. That actually stands for greatest of all time. And so if you ever hear, you, a lot of times you might hear athletes referred to as that's the goat, as the greatest of all time. And so in that fashion, we're going to play a quick uh, game called Pixelate. So you're going to see a very blurry picture of someone. And if you know who that person is, just based on the blurry picture, uh, I like chaos. So just like call it out, okay, if you, if you know it. But we're going to go really, really fast because uh, we don't have a lot of time to spend on this. But it's a way for us to get familiar with some of the greatest of all time. Go ahead with that first one. So this is uh, probably, oh man, y'all are really fast. Okay, this is Elvis Presley, one of the greatest uh, music, musical artists of all time. Of course, then we have this next one here. Anybody? Close. Who's that? Johnny Cash, yeah. One of the greatest country artists of all times, Mr. Johnny Cash. Uh, the next one probably... <laughs> Probably the greatest living songwriter of our time, right? I scored some major points with all the teenage girls uh, in here. So, and then we've got the greatest rap group of all time. Is anybody familiar? DC Talk. Thank you. DC Talk, of course. BC, come on now. I had to throw in one Christian artist in there. Hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, so those are some of the people that we would consider uh, for whatever genre that they're in to be some of the greatest. And one of the reasons why we're doing the summer in Psalms uh, this summer is because one of the greatest, greatest uh, songwriters of all time is David. He wrote most of the Psalms that, uh, that are in your Bible, and he has a way of capturing the beauty and majesty of God as well as the intimacy that we can have in a relationship with God in words. And as we just sang a minute ago, that there's no words that can fully describe God. There are no words that we can come up with that are going to fully encapsulate everything that God is. But David does a pretty good job of it. And uh, I, I had some favorite artists growing up. Uh, I think I've mentioned before my love of Garth Brooks and how much he meant to me as a, as a, a teenager. Uh, but in later years, there was a band by the name of Skillet. And the guy that wrote most of the songs for Skillet is named John Cooper. And he wrote, uh, he is probably the reason why I started digging into the Psalms when I was a teenager. Because I would listen to his lyrics and I was like, man, this stuff sounds kind of familiar. But I can't really put my finger on it. And then I realized that he wrote a lot of the same in the same style as David. And so when it got to when he wrote songs, uh, there's one in particular that's in the notes in your church app. There's a, a quick quote there. So if you've got the church app, you can pull up the notes and you can follow along with me. But as a song called More Faithful that says the chorus says, you have been more faithful than the morning sun. You have been more faithful than knowing night will come. You have been more faithful than the changing of seasons. 
And it was lyrics like this that drew me towards the Psalms. It was, it was lyrics like that that I was like, man, that really like captures the faithfulness of God in a way that I really couldn't articulate at the time and, and even since. And so when we look at David's writing in the, in the book of Psalms, that's what I want to filter this through, is this lens of David is trying to take all of the awesomeness of God Everything that uh, encapsulates God, and he's trying his best in human form to put that into words that we can understand. And so we're going to dive into, today we're in Psalm chapter 19. In Psalm chapter 19, uh, we're going to kind of break this up into, uh, I don't know if David meant it this way, but to me it seems like two different, uh, two different verses of the same song. Uh, so we're going to kind of break it up that way. So I'm reading Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. This is what David wrote. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so David is trying to put into words the glory and majesty of God's creation. And even, even though these are very beautiful words, it's so eloquently uh, written it still only scratches the surface of what we, when we can look at creation in even our limited perspective and go, well, that doesn't cover everything. I mean, he pretty much covered like the sun and the moon, right? Like it, but even still, he says a lot, of, a lot of good things about the way that God has created the universe. And he comes out right at the very beginning that the heavens declare the glory of God. And he just explicitly states that when God speaks, big things happen. When God speaks, big things happen. And there you see, there's part of the glory of God right there, uh, right here from our own hometown. But when we, when we look at creation, and David was no different than us, when David looked at creation, he noticed the fact that God is speaking through his created world. That God is, is communicating with us through his creation. And that, so he writes the words, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so what we would call this in like a study of theology would be, this is called general revelation. It's the revelation of God that is to everyone. You cannot find a person anywhere on the planet that you couldn't go to and say, hey, do you notice how much stuff is in order and how many things are, exist because there is a design and there's a pattern and there's all of these things that were put into place that make life even possible. And I don't want to get too much into that, but I think it's, it's really interesting to me that David, with his limited amount of knowledge of creation, could look up to the heavens and know that God is speaking. And how now we in this modern era, and if you, know, uh, if you spend any amount of time with me, you know I'm a space nerd. I love all things space, and all the exploration that's happening right now is like a heaven on earth for me. But we know so much more about creation now than David did. And that all the, is all the more reason for us to be able to look at creation and see that God is speaking to us, that God is revealing himself to us no matter where we are in our relationship with him. So why would God reveal himself through his creation? 
Why do you think that he did that? And I, I jotted down three things. It, says, it lets us know that God really speaks. And creation shows us that the invisible God made himself known that to the, through the visible that, to us. So the things that we see, we can look at and go, oh, wow, God really created that. God really made that. One of the things that's most interesting to me is the fact that God created us in his image. And I think part of the image of God is the fact that if you look at the world, you can see that of all of the animals that God made, of all the things that God made, man alone, humanity, is the one thing that God created that in turn goes and creates to the, uh, to the level that we were able to create. And so even things that are man-made are really things that are God-made because God speaks through everything that he has created. Uh, the second thing is it helps us speak for God. And so when people uh, in, the, in the New Testament would, would speak for God, a lot of times they would point to creation. They would point to, hey, look around you. you it's pretty obvious that there is a designer, that there's a purpose behind everything that was created. And then lastly, it helps us sing praises to God, which is exactly what we just did. We can look around us. We see creation. We see the things that God has done. We see uh, the hum humanity and the beauty that's in humanity. And we can look at all of these things, and it causes us to praise God. It causes us to see him for who he really is. And so God universally spoke through creation to echo his name around the world. But this is not fortunately, the only way that he has spoken to us. And so we can get into the second verse of this psalm right here in Psalm 19, uh, starting in verse 7. And I'm going to read all the way through verse 14 because David kind of shifts from creation uh, to God's word right here in verse 7. It says this, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so, like I said, we, we find that David shifts from God's world to God's word here. And if you think about uh, some of your favorite authors, uh, the reason why they're probably your favorite author is because why? They tell compelling stories. And we are driven uh, by stories. I was thinking, uh, I was explaining some of the uh, toys that I grew up with as a child uh, to my kids and trying to help them see like, oh yeah, we had all these like awesome, awesome toys because now they pretty much have like toy, right? Um, that's, it. that's pretty much it. But we, I was trying to explain to them these awesome toys, and the more I started to explain them, the more I realized that as a child who grew up in like the, the mid-80s and, and 90s, almost every single toy that we had had backstory to it. <laughs> Like, it wasn't just like a wooden, a wooden tractor and you'd like play with a wooden tractor. We had like transformers 
you know, that were robots in disguise, and there was like a whole comic book series of backstory that tells you all the story that belonged to them, Smurfs and uh, G.I. Joe and all these things. Like if you start thinking about it, we were talking about uh, the Teddy Ruxpin thing that I had, uh, if some of you remember that, that what what it would do is it was a little robotic teddy bear that would what? Tell you stories. Because we're, we're captivated by stories. We're motivated by stories. We're inspired by stories. And one of the reasons why I think that God's word is so compelling is that it tells us not just a story, but it tells us the greatest story that's ever been told. And it's this assembled masterwork that we call the Bible. And so God invites us into this story, and this is what would be called specific revelation. This is God specifically revealing himself to us through his word. And what the other piece of that that I love about God is the fact that we can see, even in the way the Bible was written, that it reveals part of God's character. And part of God's character is that he is about relationship. He is not about uh, dictatorship and dominion and rule and authority, and he has all of those things. But God chooses relationship with us. And even in the way that he goes about putting together his word, he used his own followers in order to actually write the Bible. He inspired his followers to write down the words that we have now that reveal the character of God. But even in that, he revealed his character and, his, and one of the, his driving forces is, I desire relationship. I desire uh, to be in communion with you. Because that's the way that he, wrote, he chose to wrote the Bible. He could have literally just like handed it down from heaven for someone to find, and then they would make copies of it. But no, what does he do? He uses uh, dozens and dozens of writers and uses their distinct personalities and their styles and their experiences and all of those things, but yet inspires them to write this perfect word of God, as David says. Because if you look here in Psalm 19, that uh, David's describing God's word, and he points out uh, three, three things to us in Psalm 19, right there in verses 7, 8, and 9. It says that the, law, the word of the Lord is perfect and trustworthy. Now bear in mind that at, David, at this point in, in history, David is just referring to the Old Testament. But we know now, because we live in the age of, of the church, in the age of the New Testament, we know now that what we have as a, the totality of Scripture is perfect and trustworthy. And so all of these things would still describe the Bible for us. So it's perfect and trustworthy. In verse 8, David says that the Bible is always right and completely true. And if, you, if you've ever had experiences where you read something in Scripture, if you really start digging down something that seems, that seems like a contradiction, if you really dig down into it, what you find is, is that there's beautiful paradox in the Bible a lot of times. Where some two things seem contradictory, but then when you dig down past just the surface level and read it within the context that it was written, that you find this beautiful paradox in, uh, in the Bible where God is revealing himself. And because he is so huge and because he is so complex and because the Bible says his ways are not our ways, that a lot of times it's hard for us to understand how can a loving God also be a just God? How can a God of wrath also be a God of grace? And these things are tough, and they're difficult, and it requires us to go further into Scripture and dig into Scripture and to see the beauty that's in there, because we know that if you dig down enough, that the Bible is always right and completely true. And then in verse 9, David says that, the, that God's Word is eternal. 
That it doesn't, it's not just going to go away. There's no point at which it has an expiration date on it that says, okay, well, now that we've, you know, now that we're in 2020, we've figured it all out and we've, we've uh, understand enough to know that like, okay, the Bible's really obsolete and irrelevant, which is what our culture is trying to do. And what uh, a lot of times, even in the church you find, but David says, no, God's word is eternal. And through this masterwork of the Bible, we, in turn, because God is a God of relationship, but because of this masterwork in the Bible, we can become God's masterpieces, which is what we were, what we were designed to be. The entirety of Scripture boils down to God trying to get us and, and provide us a way for us to be what he created us to be in the first place, in communion with him, in relationship with him. And having this intimacy with him where we, know he, where we know him as our God and he knows us as his creation. And so through his masterwork, we become his masterpieces. And so we get this def- definition of God and all the benefits of reading God's word. And I just very quickly kind of jotted down three of the benefits of reading God's word so that we, we can move towards uh, uh, the application of this. But God's word will revive our soul and give us wisdom. He says it right there in verse 7, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It will produce joy and enlighten our eyes. What does that mean to enlighten our eyes? To, just like the, in the book of Proverbs, that we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your path. He will give us guidance because our eyes will be open to the way the world actually works and the way that God intended it for, for it to be. And then the third thing that the, the Bible does, the benefits of reading God's word, is it will warn us of wrong. And there you see in verse 12 and 13, he says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Because David recognizes what? That by reading the law, by studying the law, by knowing God's word, he'll be able to discern between right and wrong, which for a king is of utmost importance, right? And it's the same with us. Us being able to discern between right and wrong is of utmost importance. So therefore, we have to know what God's word says. And then we find ourselves in the middle of God's story that's still being written. This, the middle of God's redemption of all humanity is still being written. In the Old Testament, he used the, the patriarchs and he used the children of Israel to try to show people who he was and proclaim the glory of God. And they, the Israelites just continuously failed and failed and failed. And God finally said, I'm going to have to step into the story and fix the things that were broken by us. And so he steps into the story as Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, in turn, through his death, burial, and resurrection, turns to his disciples and he says, guys, you've got to complete the story because it's not done yet. In fact, really, we're in the middle. They were in the middle of it. They were at the turning point of the story. If you know anything about good, a good story, the turning point is not the, the part of the book where you want to stop reading it. That's the part of the book that you want to keep going, right? That you want to find out, how does this thing end? Where is this all, where is this all leading towards? And that's exactly where we are as the church, is in the midst of this story. And as we read God's word, and as we study God's word, as we see what God has revealed to us through his creation and through the word, 
that we're going to find out what our part in the story is. So David goes on to say that the law of the Lord says it's in verse 10 is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold. He said it's, it's sweeter than the honey or the drippings of the honeycomb. And honestly, when I read, when I read words like that in Scripture, it kind of pricks me a little bit because I realize, like, does that really apply to me? Do I desire God's word the way that I desire everything else in my life? And I had a conversation just last night about how, uh, and if you look all, through, all throughout Scripture, there's not a whole lot of, like, entertainment in Scripture. Yet, our culture is kind of obsessed with it, right? And I'm right there, <laughs> I'm right there in it. But our culture is kind of obsessed with the entertainment, with the idea of fulfilling, you know, telling stories. And those, those things are great, and they're not inherently wrong. But do we desire those things more than God's Word? And is God's Word better to us than anything else that we can imagine? Is that the best, is that the thing that we consider the best use of the time that we have? Where we're not working and we're not doing all the things that God has called us to do. Uh, and our responsibilities. And I got to say, that's probably not me in a lot of times. And so God's word there again enlightens us. It directs our path. It gives us uh, an idea of where we've, where we've messed up and where we've gone wrong. So I want to finish up with uh, verse 14, which is probably the most famous verse out of this, uh, out of this chapter. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to the Lord. And there again, kind of hits you right there in the gut to go, is that really my life? Is this really my life? And if you look at, at David, he's not shining a big spotlight on everybody else's sin. He's shining a mirror on his own sin. Because if you look through the life of David, there are plenty of times when you could say, David, the meditations of your heart were definitely not towards God at some instances of his life. The, meditation, the words of your mouth were definitely not in line with God's will at certain points in your life. And uh, if you know anybody, and I had the opportunity when I was younger, because I have been involved in music for most all of my life, I think, uh, but... I was in high school, and I'm sitting there waiting to, uh, we're about to get ready to lead worship and everything, and I'm just kind of fiddling around with my guitar, and all of a sudden, this, like, worship song just, like, spits out, and I wrote it down really quick, and I went into my youth pastor's office, and I played it for him, and he's like, you, got, you need to play that, and the song is actually called Worship With My Life, and it was great blessing in the sense that God just kind of poured that out. But ever since then, I've struggled with the fact of, I cannot live up to the words that I wrote. And I'm sure David felt this way. David probably went back at times in his life and read Psalm 19 verse 14 and said, golly, why can't I live up to my own words? I mean, I'm the one that wrote it, but yet I can't live it out. But he, this is his desire, this is his prayer, that the words of his mouth, the meditation of his heart, would be pleasing in God's sight. And so I want to ask you a, a few quick questions. 
Because one of, the, one of the reasons why we do the Summer in Psalms, and if you've been here for a while, you might recognize the fact that this is the second Summer in Psalms that we've had in a few years. I don't know if we did it last summer or the summer before, but we've done this before. And it's because of this. How many of you have ever heard your favorite song come on the radio? It's, it's an easy question. It's not a trick question. <laughs> you heard your favorite song come on the radio or like you're in a store shopping and your favorite song and you're like, oh yeah, that's my jam. But say you're in the car where you have control over it, and your favorite song comes on the radio, and you're just like, ah, I've heard that before. And you turn it off. Anybody? No. What do we do? That's when carpool karaoke kicks in, right? We become American Idol in that car. We're, we're ready to go in front of the judges. Why? Because we listen to our favorite song over and over and over and over again, because it kind of becomes part of us. And that's what God's Word should be. That's why we should read God's Word. And you might say, well, I've read God's Word. I've, I, you know, I've read it. I've read it multiple times. Okay, great. Keep reading it. <laughs> why? Because God's not done revealing Himself through His Word. So if you have a favorite song, if you have a favorite verse, listen to it over and over again. Because that's what God requires us to do. I'll, I'll end real quick with this. So I grew up at Sherwood Christian Academy. I, w I went there. I was in middle school. Uh, we we're in Bible class, and our Bible teacher said, "We're going to take the one of the uh, a section of the Book of Psalms, and what I want you to do is I want you to get in groups, and you're going to come up with a tune to go with the song because that's what they were originally, right? They were songs that were to be sung." And so we're, I'm in maybe seventh, eighth grade, something like that. And so me and my buddies get together and we decide like, oh, this will really get a laugh. We're going we're gonna to use the tune from Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. Because that would be funny, right? If you don't know it, you can look it up later. But so we went and he just like randomly assigned us psalms uh, to, and passages from psalms that we could do. And ours was Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4. And here's the, here's the thing, because one of the, one of the points that, that David is making here in, in uh, Psalm 19, 14, if you meditate on something, that means that you've thought about it a lot, right? By the way, let me get, let me get this out real quick. If you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. Y'all with me on that? If you've ever worried about something, a, a big project at work, your kids, anything, if you've worried about something, you already know how to meditate. Why? Because what is worry? Worry is thinking about something over and over and over and over again, and then running it through every possible scenario that you have absolutely no control over, right? So you're going to worry about it some more, and worry about it some more, and then think through it. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, if this happens, then I can do this, and that happens, and then I can do this. That's worry. What is meditation? It's a positive form of worry, <laughs> Is a positive form of worry. So when I look at Psalm 1914, I said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What does that mean? Okay, the meditation of my heart, the words of my okay, so the things I say. And we start thinking through every aspect of this of the passage. And we think about it in every single way we can possibly come to think about it. That's what the meditation of your heart, the focus of your heart is. So back to Psalm 122, the, the reason why I, I bring up meditation is because the other part of meditation, if you meditate on something long enough, then you start committing it to memory. 
And just like your favorite song, I could probably start uh, a really popular, the first part of a really popular song, and everybody in here could probably finish it because we just memorized it. And I have said this, and I've had it said to me so many times that, oh, I'm just not good at memorizing stuff. And I'm like, sing your favorite song. <laughs> well, apparently you can memorize something, right? We just memorize all the stupid things that don't make any difference. So Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And it gets better. Our feet have been standing within your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was built as a city that is together. Where the tribes go of the tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Psalm 122. <laughs> no. <laughs> Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4. Eighth grade. <laughs> you know how many times I've sung the song since eighth grade? Maybe like five. But I still remember it because it's ingrained in my brain now. And I can't, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to forget that. I'll be sitting in a nursing home. <laughs> and they'll be like, what is he singing? And I'll just let him go. It's, it's fine. He's singing, the, he's singing scripture. But whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes to get this into my head and get it into my heart, because every time, any time that I think about that song is typically on a Sunday morning. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Wow. That's a great reminder every Sunday morning as I'm getting up and I'm tired and I just don't want to do the things. I just want to stay in bed. No, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So whatever it takes to get this stuff into your heart and into your head, do it. I've got an app on my phone that helps me memorize scripture. And it doesn't always get done every single day by any means, but it's like, does it and fill in the blank? And then it asks me questions about it. And then it has me like recite it. And then it has me do all these other things like, where like I've got multiple choice and I can uh, pick the words. Why? Because memorization is hard. <laughs> and for, the mo for most of us, probably 90% of us, it's not, it's not fun, right? And so if I can find a way that I can in, in some way go, yeah, I can do that. I can, fill in, I can fill in a few blanks if it means that I get God's word into my heart and into my head. So whatever that takes to meditate and memorize God's word. And I wanted, wanted to be able to illustrate this through the form of candy because what better way to illustrate anything than through candy? But M&M, right? Meditate and memorize. So if you remember nothing else, you can remember M&Ms, right? Uh, is that throughout the week, find ways that you can meditate. Yeah, I at least have a picture. <laughs> to meditate and memorize God's word. Why? Because this is, these are the ways that God has revealed himself to us. And by memorizing those things and meditating on those things, then our minds start to change. And the, what your mind does, your body is going to follow every single time. It starts, in, it starts with the mind and flows out. everything flows out from there. In Scripture, it was, it, they call it the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, we know that it's not the physical heart, but out of our minds, the things that we think are going to come out of our mouth. And so if we think on God's word, if we meditate on God's word, then the things that we say, the things that we do are going to change. It has to, because that's the way that God designed us. That's the way he's revealed himself to us. So 
Uh, if, you, if you need to know any details about how, uh, how to memorize scripture and uh, the app or whatever, and just some, some ways that I've found that work well for me, then obviously come and talk to me later. But think about that. How am I going memor- to memorize and meditate on God's word this week? How am I going to look at creation and all that God's made and realize that God is trying to reveal himself to me each and every day that we wake up and we see the things around us and we see the people that God has put in our lives? It's the source of true life when we start seeing how God has revealed himself to us through his word, through his creation. But let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we can see uh, very clearly, Father, just how you have revealed yourself to us uh, through your word and through your creation, Father. And I pray for each and every person that's here today that's online, uh, God, that we would be a people that are about Uh, meditating on you and memorizing your word, God, so that we can, uh, as your word says, hide that word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you, Uh, God. And that's the purpose for uh, for your word was to reveal yourself to us, God. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you for men like David and even songwriters now who are writing, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty, uh, so that we can join together and join our hearts in song and sing these things to you that God, we understand only scratch the surface, but it's the best that we could possibly do. And God, we just thank you for everything that you continuously bless us with and pour out on us uh, each and every day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.